0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. I always feel like I should do a little dance or something while I say that, but you know, hey. It's Thursday, 7 p.m. British time. We're live on twitch.tv slash DNI Stream. I am Josie Howarth, and as always, I am basically joined by the ultimate transformer. He, who is epic, who is perfect in all ways, Chris Seabock, I'm inspired by your t-shirt today.
1: Yes, I I haven't actually worn this one for a while because I put a little bit of weight on over the the whole lockdown thing and... um uh it's a bit tight but it's actually all right on me at the moment so i'm either losing weight or it's stretched out but anyway yes hello josie and hello to everybody in chat um as always this is a live show so please do get involved got any questions you've got any comments um you've got anything to if we say anything that is wrong which i'm sure we will do um at some point um please get involved and uh and drop those comments in chat
0: Absolutely. And of course, before we begin, it's always a little icebreaker, which is just a chance for us to ask a random question and just sort of get to know each other better and all the stuff that kind of goes with it. We try to keep it away from the actual topic itself or involving uh, development in general. I was about to say Docker, but that's part of our show today. We'll get to that. Um, So I have a question for you, Chris. If animals could talk, which animal would be the rudest?
1: The rudest
0: the rudest dog I immediately end.
1: jumped to rude dog from uh, from the 80 uh, from the 90s but
0: wow no not yeah not if him. animals could talk which one would be the rude I mean it's
1: going to be cats isn't it it's got to be cats as much as i love our our cats they are uh, fry our our fry is brilliant he's he's like a dog he's a faithful servant you know he'll he'll fetch things he'll he'll he comes to you for a love big meow on the other hand he's so aloof and so and there's a there's a black cat that occasionally we catch in our back garden and we catch him and he runs off you know we just open the door and he runs off and he he walks a along the um uh the, the shelf or the the fence rather doesn't even look at us doesn't even look at us he just doesn't acknowledge our existence whatsoever and even if we you know we're, we're nice and we're friendly to animals but yeah i think cats would be the rudest
0: whereas i would say honey badgers <laughs>
1: Mm, I think the most violent
0: Well I think that they They strike me like as like They'd have knives and like gangs You what mate? Like, yeah, yeah, what mate, what mate <laughs> oh my god I can't believe I just did that live on air (laughs) oh good 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 good. yeah but to me I think potentially honey badgers would be really really rude although I think if you want to get depending upon what your definition of rude is because that's something I learned being here in the UK there's two types of rude there's rude you know Mm-hmm. Tap of the nose kind of rude. And there's rude where, you know, there's a brashness and an abruptness to something. I mean And I think if you want to go the tap the nose rude, it would have to be bunnies.
1: <laughs> yeah, it might be bunnies. I don't know.
0: Bunnies, rabbits and hares.
1: The rudest um Oh, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Tap that nose. Yeah,
1: I, I can't think of that. I don't really think of animals in that way, to be fair with <laughs> that, I've got to be honest.
0: <laughs> Anthropomorphizing animals. Hey! Yeah. Right, yes.
1: anyway. So, yes, tonight's show, Josie's kind of already, uh, already spoiled it, but we are going to talk, and that thing right below me, and everything <laughs> previous, and the title, <laughs> and the advert, everything spoiled it. Um, we're talking about Docker today. The, the sh- today's show is called Docker Disaster. Um, so, one of the things that uh, that, that is common around around the dev world is dockerize all the things docker is wonderful let's get uh you know let's get every application and every service and everything we ever we ever work with in the world dockerized and we want to explain well i want to explain today why that is a thing
0: mm-hmm. why it's not
1: always the case and also mm-hmm. you know kind of why not not necessarily because i've actually recently had a one of the reasons of the show is called docker disaster i've had a disaster with docker um that meant i had you to completely format my machine it was only a couple of days ago so i'm on a brand new machine i'm lucky we haven't had any technical difficulties yet because <laughs> uh, i've had to f- feverishly install everything again um but yeah so and, and Josie has very recently been well, getting in, getting involved with it, I think for the first time, is that right, Josie?
0: Not the first time. No, okay. no, no. I when I like I've said before on the show when I first started out with Docker, mine was a disaster. It bricked my sh- machine. It completely bricked it. So I, my very first interactions with Docker were basically like you know ick and i never wanted to touch it again which is why i went down the vagrant route um and vagrant over time has just become this bloated monstrosity and then you know i said you know i might as well start looking into docker just to see what's up because you know you explore things and you preach the the docker gospel and so i said i'll give it a shot and when i gave it a shot i was like it what Okay, so it's changed. It's changed and that's good. Um- <laughs> I think my my very oh, yeah. first
1: experiences with Docker were with, my first experiences were with Docker Windows containers, which is where my problem came in this week that that caused my me my issues. Um, because they weren't very stable, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were slow, they were bloated, but Windows is a bloated operating system in general, even Windows Core. Mm-hmm. They've got a new version called Windows Nano which you can install in a Docker container. And I think it's only a couple of hundred meg. It's still bigger than a Linux container and especially you know something like an Alpine Linux container, uh, which is a tiny, tiny operating system. It's
0: little different.
1: tens of megs, you know, it's ridiculous how small it is. But with that comes some caveats. You can't use some of the common uh, tools. I don't think Alpine even comes with a shell. I think it comes, sorry, it doesn't come with bash. It comes with the base Linux shell. So you have to log in with SH rather than uh, with Bash. I, I
0: I honestly don't know. I, I, all I know is that for me, um, when I want to do file changes in my Docker containers right now, I actually have to use regex. So right. <laughs> I, exec, I have to do some kind of executive thing with regex. Although, okay. like I said in, uh, like, I think it was uh, the last episode where we were talking about the things that we learned. I'm like, you know, I can just have... Vi present, it'll
1: be so, fine. I suppose, let's start, <laughs> let's start with a, an explanation of what Docker is and why containerization is such a wonderful thing for people who, who might be listening who haven't, you know, experienced it and they're, they're maybe mm-hmm. they hear about it and they're like well why is it such a big thing, I haven't got time to learn it so what, you know, what does it do for me
0: and it's worth noting we have done um, topics and shows in the past on containerization in general. Yeah. So we'll we'll be doing uh, I think a rather uh, high arching overview. So we, we've done stuff.
1: a show on Docker specifically. We had Thornton Phyllis. Um, on yes. Uh, quite a few. Quite a while back. Um, yep. So anyway, so Docker is a essentially i'm not i'm not going to get into the deep te- technical detail but essentially it is a layer in your operating system that allows you to create tiny little operating systems that are cut down significantly that don't do everything that your main operating system does but on an app basis an application basis so let's say for example you have a website typically a web app these days consists of at least three parts anything that's even remotely Remotely technical consists of at least three parts. One, well, I say that, there are exceptions, of course, but one, you've got a front end, which is the client-side application, which is like a JavaScript application. It could be Angular, it could be uh, Ember, it could be React, it could be anything. Then you've got another layer, um, which is your back end, which is usually an API of some description. It could be anything. It could be WebSocket, it could be a RESTful service, it could be a WCF SOAP service, it could be anything then you've usually got some kind of persistence layer and that that's like your database. Now, in a Docker world, what we would do, instead of deploying all of those things to different servers, like you would in a, a typical enterprise scenario, or even just one server, which you would in a, a standard kind of-
0: for, for many people who are uh, curious about, that's the things like LAMP stacks or LAMP Stacks, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, things like that. Each one of those can actually be done in a, a uh, sort of a, a structured set point um it's, most people do it on one server yeah so well that is you say most people gone.
1: most people who ha- don't work in I, the I, enterprise yeah do this. See,
0: not everybody works enterprise chris but Some even of us, even when you, you get know. to
1: a certain point um within applications for example i know plenty of small businesses that have database servers and then they have application servers, and then they have yes. client-side applications on workstations. And that, that, like that, that, is, that, that is a us. fair point. So, so anyway, either way, however you deploy your apps, we we just talked about a stack, and uh, as Josie just said, a lamp stack or whatever. There's, there's loads of different standards out there. It doesn't matter what your stack is. Yeah, you know, I use a .NET and Angular stack, but there's probably a word for that, an acronym someone's come up with these days. But it doesn't matter. Basically, that is how a, a modern application is usually layered. Sometimes you just, you know, deploy them all to onto a a VPS, a virtual cloud system, which is it requires all of the. Um, it requires all the binaries and the software developer kits and tools and everything that you needed to run that application to be installed on the server. What Docker allows us to do is it allows us to separate each one of those elements. So a database, an API, and an Angular front, uh, you know, a web front end into separate containers. They're not microservices, although you could have services in containers as well. But essentially, each one of those containers is completely isolated. And they communicate with each other over, potentially in Docker's case, a virtual network as well. Yeah. So they, that network can be isolated in its own its own host, essentially, its own virtual host on your operating system. Which means it also means that we can script up each of those applications individually, and that's where the beauty lies with developers. Because instead of us having yeah. to have a workstation where we develop all the applications and we've got all the so, say we, again we're doing .NET, we've got the .NET framework installed, we've got uh, we've got all of our IDEs and tool sets installed, we've got Git, you know, everything that we need to do things. Half of that stuff is, some of it might exist on a build server, some of it might exist on a, on a web server somewhere, but if it doesn't, you have to install it sometimes. But with Docker containers, you can just set the container up line by line in something called a Docker file, and you can tell it exactly what to install, create an image for it, And then configure that image and provision that image, which allows you to scale based on the environment variables you pass to it. So you can create from one image, you can create 200 uh, databases just like that.
0: And, And
1: that's what makes it wonderful.
0: Well, what also, in my opinion, makes it wonderful is the fact that if someone has that Docker Compose file or the Docker file, which you use to extend Um, the configuration for what you're doing for that particular setup, uh, they can get the exact same environment. And that allows... Uh, everyone to be working together on the same types of platform there is now I, i come from the world of php and stuff like that because i do a lot of wordpress development and work and you know one of the most frustrating things for me and things that i have seen in the development community is it worked perfectly fine on my system those days are gone at least they should be if you're working in a team they really kind of should be yeah. Um, and there, because there are multiple solutions and ways in which you can ensure that everyone's running the correct version of PHP, um, and that you are testing against the correct, like all of those things should be in the past. And another another beautiful thing about that, about
1: the fact that we've got the configuration in place means that we can version control the software yes. deployments as well, which is a massive thing because we can yes. we can assert that at that moment in time when we have that commit that we've pushed to the server and the CI and CD builds have kicked off or even we've built them locally you know built the containers mm-hmm. and the work locally we know that that worked we know that we can revert back to that particular configuration without having to go right we've got to reprovision the vm or we've got a we've got a um uninstall you know uninstall particular apps or reinstall frameworks all of the maintenance overhead goes away yes there's a bigger yeah. overhead with development Yes, there is. There always is going to be that. Um, but it makes sense. Well, nicer.
0: Keeping your Docker Compose and your Docker file and everything working as it should be can at times be a small little development task unto itself, as I oh. recently figured out. And that's Ugh. the thing.
1: There's, there's lots of different elements as well. So we're going to talk specifically about Docker. There are other containerization um, systems out there, but Docker is the one that's become very, very popular almost yeah. every mainstream uh, big company, uh, I'm talking about Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, they've all adopted it very widely. Um, there is orchestration that sits with that as well, and usually the orchestration is either something like Docker Swarm or uh, Kubernetes. Um, Kubernetes! And these these are things that have – all of the companies that develop these, these tool sets are working with each other to get them all working together as a stack. I actually, off the top of my head, can't think of any other containerization solutions. I know there's Vagrant, but that's not a container.
0: No, it's, it's a virtual it, Vagrant environment is more like a sort. virtual environment. It's like virtual box and I know, or something from Oracle or whatever. And I know and, Python and, and, has a,
1: a something like that as well, virtual environment. I think it's called a Venv. That's the command line you put in. I saw someone playing with it the other day.
0: No idea. But I think that... You know, in the end, we're just going to be focusing on the Docker side of things. Um, maybe someday we'll have someone on who can actually tell us about others. That would actually be great if you're listening and you know something that we don't. Please, please get in touch and become yeah, a guest. Tell us the difference as well. And
1: well, yeah. we might use one over the other, you know. Um, yep. So, yeah, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, uh, let's start talking about, in fact, um, things like yeah. Docker services, uh, Docker networks, Docker volumes, containers, etc.
0: Right. So, I. man this is i will tell you when i first uh decided to go back to you trying to use docker which is more or less in this recent time also you got ice cream being delivered you've muted yourself so we can't hear the ice cream darn it um but when i went back and i got started um one of the things that always confused me was well how is it really set up because i was so used to using things like vagrant or virtualbox and to me that was you spin up a server you make certain that the particular apps that you need on it are present and off you go and you know have fun but when it came to docker i was presented with the docker compose file now docker compose uh is actually pretty well explained in the Docker documentation. And I say that because they ex- the documentation kind of assumes you have a certain level of understanding of containerization or how Docker itself is designed to work. So for me, it was a lot of trial and error. And what I walked away with, and this is something I wanna talk to or ask you, Chris. What I walked away from from that is when it comes to setting up your Docker compose file, you pick your version of Docker Compose, which I think is the version of Docker that you're using um i like well okay let's let's start there because you you start with the Docker compose file. If you have a Docker compose file and you have Docker installed, you can run the compose file and you can get an entire setup so let's start with Docker Compose. The very first thing you have in a Docker compose file is version. And then you have to pick a thing. When okay. I so, everyone look at a completely different number, and I'm like, "Well, how do I pick? How do I know I'm picking the right thing?"
1: So there are there's two there's a couple of things here. First of all, Docker and Docker Compose are completely separate things. I say completely separate. That's, Docker Compose well, they, couldn't exist without Docker, of course, but Docker right. Compose is a separate application on Windows, which I'm assuming you're using for your development. You, Correct. Right. So on Windows. <laughs>
0: I had something else, but a Mac I can't work with.
1: If you're working on Linux, Docker, when you install Docker, I don't think any of the distributions of Docker come with Docker Compose by default. On Windows, Docker Compose comes as part of the Docker for Windows installation package. When you install on Windows Server, um, it's the same thing as Linux. You get Docker and you have to install Docker Compose separately, and it's just a download executable that you you throw into a, a path directory or something like that. So that's the first thing. You can do everything that you need to do with Docker. What Docker Compose does is it makes it easy for you to run and orchestrate multiple containers in a production, sorry, in a development environment specifically. Now, a Docker Compose file is also compatible with Docker Swarm. And Docker Swarm is the production-grade enterprise-level orchestration out of the uh, out of the box orchestration that comes with Docker. Generally, it doesn't. I mean, I've seen it being used, and I've used it myself, but it generally isn't used in proper setups. You usually use something like Kubernetes because it's much more competent. There's a a, a company, I think it's Miranda or something like that. They they that's all they do is create Docker. Uh, uh, do- create and manage kubernetes so that is heavily integrated into uh, containerization in general not just docker but it, it's got some specific integrations with docker so docker compose the the versions in docker compose you essentially all you really need to worry about is the difference between version two and version three i haven't used version one files, so i don't really know how bad or good they are <laughs> but version two and version three had some major changes version three I feel, when I've worked with the two different versions, I feel like they've moved away from allowing Docker Compose on a desktop machine, which is what Docker Compose is meant for, for development-based mm-hmm. work. Um, they've they've taken most of the things like the scale command and the resource allocation commands, such as how many CPUs that the... Um, that the Docker container has access to, how many, how much memory it has access to. They've removed all of that from version three files. And the difference is, is syntax. There's some slight changes. They've removed some things and they've maybe made the development experience a bit more easy. I use it a lot, Docker Compose. Um,
0: so, so all I use is Docker Compose. But then again, like I said, well, I didn't say it live because Chris and I were talking this before we went on. I don't use Docker in a production. No.
1: so i have actually deployed docker compose in a production setting as well but a right. very very small do- um uh d- deployment setting. docker compose is used for our dni website we use it specifically to push uh, i use it specifically to hmm. okay so i push the code <laughs> i push the the docker compose file the yaml file to our mm-hmm. repository and then mm-hmm. in order to orchestrate the containers and do the upgrade Bearing in mind that all Docker Compose Docker Compose builds and then deploys, and when you use something like docker-compose up, there's a command, docker-compose up. Minus D. Minus D, if you want. You don't have to use minus D. All that does is detach you from the process so you've got access to the console. But um, yes, I'm, I do know most of the switches because I use it almost every day. Um, so... The difference between Docker Compose allows you to just build the containers or just build the images for the containers, and it also, if you use up, it builds the. I'm sorry about the noise outside. It's hideous today. It's not usually. Well, I say this probably every podcast. It's not usually as bad <laughs> as this. But, so, so yeah. The, so the difference between the versions is syntax and the remove some features. But when it comes to what Docker Compose is great at, it. It's great at streamlining your development workflows. That's mainly what it's for.
0: That's fair enough.
1: So instead of having, if you've got, say for example, you've got an app with three containers that you need to run, database, app, API. Yeah.
0: Okay, we'll say that, although mine has a lot more, but yes.
1: Well, 15, doesn't matter, whatever you've yeah. got. If you want to run that with the Docker command, so docker run, docker build, et cetera, which you might or mm. might not have used, I'm not sure because um, mm-hmm. you might just skip straight to to compose for all I know
0: then uh yeah I did mostly go straight to compose you
1: would have to run 15 run commands and 15 build commands individually you would have to manually um create the volumes you would have to manually create the network that they all are associated with and that's nope where Docker Compose shines because it sets all of that up and makes it configurable for you.
0: It, it basically abstracts the process of creating containers and just makes it so much nicer. I, I, I honestly think that might be where I ran into problems when I first started out with Docker when it basically did the whole bricky thing or what have you. I I didn't have Docker Compose, if, if, but it's been a while since I did it, but I don't believe I used Docker Compose. So the docker compose is pretty much is what turned me around to appreciating docker period
1: so all all docker Compose is doing though is calling out to docker so if you Mm. just use docker on its own it probably just wasn't stable enough the version you used if it's a good while ago and it it, i don't know what what happened or why your machine bricked but
0: it's annoying
1: (laughs) so there's there's quite a few challenges you have to get over when you're um, working in containers, things like how do you persist the data in the containers? Because what a container is, is it, think of a CD image that you create, you used to burn on our on our, on our floppy desks, you know, and you used to create a, a, an image for a CD, an ISO image, and we'd push, oh and that's usually a read-only image as well, and we push it to, um, we'd push it to our burners and we'd burn a CD. So what we're doing, and that would be an instance of the image that we've created, because we've got the image on our hard drive. So a container image is essentially a read-only image that you can overwrite, you know, you can overwrite the file, like you can create a new ISO and overwrite the ISO, Um, but you pass environment variables and switches into it to create an instance of the image as a container. Yes, And then the containers are essentially arbitrary instantiations of that image that should be set up in such a way that they can be spun down or deleted or lost or recreated with a new image. For example, if you need to upgrade the base operating system or an SDK or something like that. And you can do that with one command or or a few commands or or your orchestration software. Yep. The problem is when you spin a container up, if you haven't made special considerations for it, the database that you create, say, for example, you create a container with these three images and you log onto the website and you add a blog post, that mm-hmm. blog post is saved into the database in container three and then you don't know what to do with it.
0: This this is one of those things that I think... Um, uh, It's the beauty of Docker, but it can be the frustration of people who don't understand how Docker works, like you were saying. Persistence is not Docker's name in a development environment. Not... Not at all. I mean, when I used to use things like Vagrant or even VirtualBox when trying to do things, you turn it on, you turn it off, and it tries to save the state that you have the current operating system in. It tries to save that, but it eats up a hell of a lot of memory space and it can get corrupt and there's other issues that can come with it. When it comes to um, Docker, the way I tend to look at the different... um, in my brain, because I use Docker Compose the different services and things like that, they're literally uh, the word's not translucent; it's not transparent. Uh, they are ephemeral. They they literally have zero permanence to them.
1: Oh, um, I know the word you're looking for, uh, and I use it all the time. And I've forgotten it.
0: <laughs> there is a word. It means a thing, <laughs> but like I cannot remember. But it 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 is completely intangible. Trans- it is
1: runs this no
0: uh transitory Yeah, no something there, there's something involving that point being though when you work in a situation where some of the configuration changes or some of the work you're doing has to be stored in the database or is being set up and that information needs to be stored if you're having your database destroyed it all every time you shut down or restart your pc or you need to rechange the configuration because you're now using say in my case a different version of php or you know you're using a, a different type of mailing up-loaded solution or an because, image
1: into the wordpress container or something like that
0: yeah anything or, or that needs anything, requires permanence yeah that you can't do that well you by default you can't do that you have to actually do something else and this is actually what uh, I think I fell in love with Docker Compose 4 in specific because it made it very clear to me how it worked. It was, a, I guess, a different way of looking at Docker because it introduced this concept called volumes. And you and I talked a little bit a while ago about volumes and how they work. And my brain was just like, yeah, I kind of get it, but it didn't make sense to me, but it did. You know, that whole sort of feeling that you can get when you're learning a topic. The way that I ended up looking at this is... Um, Anyone who has ever, again, something else we were talking about earlier, done a symlink for your my documents to be on another drive, because you know, your my documents folder is going to get huge with all the save game files you have from your latest Fallout game. Um, You know, you know what that kind of linking can do. And if you've ever mapped a network drive, it's sort of like that. That's what it felt like to me when I was setting up volumes. I'm like, Oh, volumes literally mean that container, that Docker container that is designed to not talk to really anything else has the ability to see as a symlink or a virtual link this particular folder that I have set up. Now, I personally do it locally, so it's this folder on my machine, Mm -hmm. you know, which is It's on the host
1: machine. So wherever the Docker engine is installed, because there's also the other element of Docker, which is the Docker engine, which is the service, the daemon in Linux that is... uh, that's running all of the containers and making sure that they stay up and online and, you know, running all the time. Mm. And on windows, it's the same as a Docker service, your windows service that runs in the background, which is essentially the same thing. Just run, you know, set up and working for, for windows. So yeah. So what happens is volumes are generally set up to map the containers to your host system. So that host system can be responsible for backing up the persistence if you've got a third-party backup tool or, or system that, that does things for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, it, it can also be used for If I need easy access to something that I don't want to be logging into the container with every five minutes, because you don't log on like you do with remote desktop, like you don't you don't log on to a container and see the the virtual desktop, you log on via the shell command line if you're using Linux or PowerShell or command if you're using Windows containers, Um, and you log on to it. And then you basically tell it which shell to you need to log onto it with and then you can start using the commands within the container. And then you might get confused because you're like, well, why haven't I got access to Git? Because I've got it on my uh, command line. And then you're like, no, I'm actually inside the container now writing commands within the container. So volumes allow you to like get access to things like log files. I map my oh, yes. log drives onto my local oh. machine so I can read them and see them.
0: Exactly because I actually have a very specific tool I use for um, reading logs called tailblazer highly recommend it for people who use Windows um, but it, it I put in, I need to see the errors that are occurring period um, because it's so important to be able to see where the issues are coming from and having to log in it, that that starts a whole chain of events that is just incredibly frustrating don't put yourself through that map a volume no, of there's just-
1: there's different levels of logging as well within Docker, because you can actually run a Docker log command on any container and you can see the main console output, which is something as well that we, you kind of, uh, touched on right at the beginning. And we were talking about when a container runs, you're not just running an operating system and it having it running it in the background. It's not just sat there waiting for things to happen. It's not running service. I mean, windows. Containers do run services in the background, but a very limited set of them. Um, and you can use some things like system D within Docker containers, but it is a hell of a setup and it's a m- massive faff around. And I don't think it's supported or recommended by uh, Not Docker worth themselves.
0: It. Well Not worth it. <laughs> so
1: basically what you do with a Docker container is the reason that they are app level containers, and I keep referring to them as app level containers, is that say, for example, you create a Docker file, and let's say, for example, we are running a, a WordPress website. Actually, I don't know WordPress off the top of my head. So let's say we're running a .NET service, right?
0: Yes, I'll go, let's let's say we're running a WordPress service. Okay. So, All right. So I'll, let's do oh, a comparison here. Okay. Okay, So
1: on a in a Docker file, you, have you worked with Docker files as well, Josie, or yes. have you just worked with images that have right?
0: No, I, I've I've got um, Docker Compose, which I've used, and Docker files as so well. So There, are two, there are... I need them to do. Various things. When
1: we work with containers, we always need an image to work from, to create a container from. Yeah. There are two ways that we can create an image. One is from scratch. Well, there's three ways. One is from scratch, which is like a very, very basic image that we download off the internet. Or we could even create the image. I don't know how to do that because I've never needed to. But I'm sure we could create our own image from scratch, um, initialize you know, a base uh, kernel of some description and then build on it. Um, but generally, the way that Docker works is it lay its layers upon layers upon layers of images. So, for example, if I want to create a .NET Core web API, I would download the .NET Core um, S, no, uh, runtime from from the Microsoft Docker Hub. I download that image. I would then create, and if I wanted to customize it, say for example, I needed to install my own application and maybe install some of my own tools and some very specific assemblies and all kinds of other things. I would write a Docker file that copies my assemblies or builds my application, copies my assemblies into it, and then at the very end of the Docker file, the last thing that it does is a run command. Now it's either a CMD or an entry point, and they've got two different use cases. Generally. CMD is for running some kind of persistent interactive command like .NET run, .NET run assembly name, and that will run your uh, .NET assembly and as a service, and it will host it in the application that comes with, dot, with .NET, which is um, Kestrel, uh, the, the hosting service that comes with .NET, which is Kestrel. Um, there's lo- loads of other ways to do it, but generally this is the way that most people would do it these days. Um, and then... The entry point, which is usually a script of some sort that you would run that would do various things every time you start the container. And there's a difference between creating a container and initializing it and starting the container and stopping it and then restarting it again because there are different things you might need to do in both of those situations. So how does that compare to setting up your WordPress? Because I actually set a WordPress thing up myself a, a few years ago and I didn't get very far with it. I had some issues with volume mappings and things like that.
0: Oh, gosh. In my particular case, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, I literally tell my Docker Compose file to just grab the latest version of the WordPress image. It is based, you you can throw switches at it and say you want PHP to be a particular thing, or you want uh, Linux, a particular version, or what have you. You can configure it, but it basically sets up your... um, Uh, your web or service provider, and you can pick things like Apache or Nginx from those particular selections. And then the PHP, which is required in order to run. So it sits in the sort of same container. Um, And those two particular things are pretty much all that is present. There's like nothing else. By default, it comes with um, uh, the mail processor to be able to handle PHP mail. Um, but you can configure the things how you desire. So you're to talking about work. the
1: Docker that sorry, the WordPress Docker the, image.
0: Yeah, there is actually a Docker image for WordPress. It didn't that has... used
1: to be. And i I spent a lot of time setting one up and, and fiddling around with it. And it must be fairly recent, because it was only a few years ago that I did that. And I couldn't uh... find a, a base WordPress image. I essentially
0: I don't know how long ago this was present. This was up three years ago.
1: It's probably, probably. A...
0: It's on Docker Hub. Yeah. There, there's a. It's a thing on Docker Hub. Um... But, uh, yeah, I mean, in my particular case, I have the ability within the Docker Compose file to set that up. And then I have because of the fact that it's given consideration to how WordPress is set up with its configuration files for how you set up its connection to the database or uh, things like that. You can actually set that up inside the Docker Compose file itself. And then you tell it where to map the different um volumes to. Now, if you wanted to, you could pick to map right to the root of where WordPress is being served from, which is usually var www.html, usually, although it can vary. could It could be files or public or what have you. Or you could explicitly state that the only things you want are the theme files or the plugin files that are found in WP content, which then allows you to do anything that you might want to do, like, say, work on your plugin or work on your theme without anything else being impacted because everything else is transient. There's the word we were looking for. That was it. <laughs> everything else is transient. But um, you are only working on your plugin and you can then pick which WordPress you're testing it against. And, you know, those things can be very, very useful. And that's how I do the mapping. Now, for me, because of the fact that WordPress does require a database in order to store literally any kind of information for pretty much how everything works. It's one of the big downsides of WordPress uh, in general is the fact that a lot of configuration is actually stored in the database period. Um, But for that, I actually have to set up a database service. And then I have to make certain that the WordPress is talking to the database itself, but I choose to map the volume for the actual database itself, mm-hmm. the specific data. Um, I'm personally, I'm a fan of MariaDB, but uh, everyone has their choices. I'm using MySQL, what using, have you?
1: Using Maria for my bot at the moment.
0: Love Maria, but um, I map the um, the database, and it always knows then when the server starts up to pull from that uh, mapped volume the persistent information that I want. But I I also kind of go a step further and I explicitly tell it to uh, map the nginx certification SSL cert file to something that I have locally so that I can actually use SSL certs as well. So and but that 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 starts going beyond. But what I do is I just pull the image of the WordPress with the specific. Uh, variables that I needed to be PHP a certain version or so what have you.
1: when you when you write your Docker compose file and you do service name mm-hmm. c- uh, colon underst- un- underneath it, it says mm-hmm. name colon uh, sorry image colon does that say WordPress or does that say uh, is that a custom name that you've given it? Uh,
0: uh, uh... It's a... What does it say? I, have to, I literally have to to go to grab it. Uh, does little... it
1: say image colon, then a tag name?
0: Uh, no, it's actually using a Docker Compose, um, Docker file image in this particular case, because the... You mean you're creating
1: I... your own local custom image, so you, you've got a build element in there your is, Docker Compose file?
0: Yeah, there is a... Build element in the Docker Compose.
1: yes. So what that's doing there is the image, the when under the image tag, that's a custom name that you've defined for your image. So what Mm -hmm. you're doing is you're overriding the WordPress. I imagine your Docker file, the first line in it is from WordPress, colon, then the tag for whatever it is. So one thing that I got confused with when I very first worked with uh, Docker and Docker Compose was the difference between build arguments and environment variables and when you pass each one in, and what the scope is for each one of them. Have you got that, or is that an element of confusion for you as well?
0: Well, for me, it is a slight element of confusion, um, mainly because, um, for me, the... Where where did I put this? This is something that I have so recently set up. Um, When I started out with there's there's security
1: considerations that you might be interested in around these two as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah! I know, I know, WSL. Go away. We'll get to Hyper-V and WSL soon. That's a thing that came up recently with the latest update for Docker, um, at least locally. Um, but in when pulling the WordPress direct image from hub.docker.com, mm-hmm. um, you can you're told what environment variables are available for that image. And that's one way of doing it. Whereas in my particular case, I have it pulled out and I'm sending variables because what I have set up is basically, um, uh, we'll say the foundation mm-hmm. for all of the different things that i do so i want to be able to make my changes and have different environment um, the, dot ends and things like that how
1: many stuff. services do you have defined in your docker file
0: at this current moment in time one two three uh four five i have five services what are each of those
1: services doing what are their purposes
0: one is the latest image of Nginx, which um then maps the correct ports for me so that I don't have to put 8080 or anything else like that on there. And what's I can the, use it. What's that for? Right. Cause,
1: Cause WordPress will be hosting itself, I assume, using Nginx or something like that. Well, in
0: this particular case, the build of WordPress that I'm using actually just pulls the WordPress files down into the Nginx container.
1: Okay. All right.
0: That, that at least that's the way that this one is set up. Um And then it also, it maps the particular volumes and it depends on WordPress. That's one of the key things that's present. The
1: top level services, you've got a database, MariaDB, you've got your WordPress container, you've got an NGINX container, which I'm I'm still confused Mm -hmm. about why you'd need that, but let's go with it. What are the other two?
0: I have MailHog and Composer.
1: Okay. So MailHog is a mail engine, a mail server of some sort.
0: It, It allows you to in a web browser view mail that is being sent without it actually okay. being sent. It, it basically scarfs up any mails being sent because part of WordPress is about sending emails yeah. for various events, et cetera. And
1: they sorry, what was the last one? Composer. Composers, the PHP. Hang on. No, there's a few different things called composer. So what is composer?
0: Ah, uh, composer is what I am using to pull, uh, the plugins and things like that, that might be used from right. WordPress repositories in, and I use it to actually do all of so the updating and stuff like
1: Composer that. Composer is WordPress's package, ma- um, not WordPress, it's not, PHP's not WordPress. package management tool, so. like NuGet yeah. is for NPM. I haven't used it, so yes. I don't know the details around it, but okay. I
0: believe so. <laughs> so. <laughs> Let's go with yes, I think so. <laughs> I
1: don't know if Composer, because what you've set up there, I'm not sure if Composer should be part of that setup. Um, it doesn't only, need to be. Yeah, only because it of the reason. If you deploy this file to a server and you use it, it will host and it will expose ports. Which for is that. not
0: exactly what I'm doing at all. Right. I'm doing something. I'm using Bedrock, which is a, 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 a variant of my of WordPress that has more security to it and stuff like that. Okay. So it it restructures the WordPress. Um, Uh, file structure, it adds uh, some extra stuff for password encryption, and a few other things as well. And it also allows you to have uh, different configurations based on whether you're on production staging or development, which allows uh, the overrides to work. So for example, when I have a push of this, because I do have an instance somewhere, I can literally turn off the ability to do any kind of upload at all. With just a simple button but it allows me to have that i'm happy with where i'm at with this particular test i'm now going to push it to staging it gets pushed in my git branch to staging and then it you know is pulled into the staging um server that i have set up and it is a very one click it's now ready for me to look at in that and then i can well that's the intention isn't it of that's That's getting into the dev process. When you going back to Docker,
1: the whole point of Docker is that we we should be able to one click. It might take a little while to build and provision (laughs) the containers sometimes, but once it's set up properly, and especially if you're using caching as well, layer caching within within Docker, which is another thing that took me a little bit to get my head around, but I'm at a point now where I usually
0: confuses me. Sorry, layer caching confuses me.
1: I'll explain what that is in a minute and what the caveat, like what the um. There's some gotchas around it. Uh, if you are you using multi, multi, oh, hang on, multi-step container images at the moment. Are you, when you your Docker file, do you have multiple FROM statements in them, or is it just the one? Uh, just the one. Okay, so you won't have the. I have had some major caching issues with um, with using multi-step container uh, Docker files, um, but you don't. That you won't have that. So, okay, let's talk about layer caching. So when you create a Docker container, every single line, every single instruction in your, uh, in your Docker file is a layer. And what happens is it creates an intermediate container and that container is accessible via its hash at any point within the build process or any point afterwards, unless you tell Docker build to delete intermediate containers during the process. What that means is that you can log in. So let's say, for example, you've got uh, an add command in your Docker file that adds a file. And then the next line is um, an uh, another add command. Let's just make it simple. So we're adding file1.json, and then in the second one, we're adding file2.php, Yeah.
0: And this is a Docker file.
1: This is in the Docker file.
0: Right, because when, I'm doing more like curl stuff and things like that. But yeah,
1: yeah okay, so run commands, add and run commands. So run commands, mm-hmm. run executables, add commands, add files. But to run some executables, you need to add files, you know, in order to, if, you, if you're if you creating, for example, in the DNI website, when I'm working locally, I'm modifying files constantly. What an add command does is it takes the files and then if, it's really, really clever how it does it. If the files that have been added with the add command have not changed, or a copy command, I think, I think copy is the more... Um, the comp- more common one, I think, ads being deprecated or ads slightly different. I think you can add things from the internet with ads as well. You can add URLs, add files from URLs and things like that. Um, but copy, say you're copying a file from your local drive. If that file or that any of the files that are matched by that glob have not changed, the, the layer cache will cache what has already happened, so it won't have to rebuild it at that moment. So if you're running command after command after command after command, and it depends on how you've organised your file, and you've got an add right at the end, and then that mm-hmm. add adds a file that's changed. All of the run commands will run fine, and they will all be cached. But the add anything that's after the add command, after that file that's changed, will uh, will not be cached, and then everything below that will have to be re uh, rebuilt. So you sometimes have to organise your, or it's usually best to organise your Docker file in a way that obviously makes sense to you for your development, there's going to be some instances where, yeah. l- okay, here we go. I've actually set up a, recently set up a Windows container, which I've now deleted because Windows containers are the worst <laughs> thing in the world. You should never use them. Um,
0: <laughs> rule number one, by yeah. the way, number one frustration. Windows container, our suggestion is...
1: Delete, delete, delete. Nope, nope, delete, nope, nope, nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I love Microsoft. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I am a Microsoft advocate. I love Microsoft, but Windows containers are utterly screwed at the moment. And I have... I tried years ago to get them working, and it didn't brick my machine or anything, but it didn't work very well. I couldn't get any kind of stable environment for .NET framework um, applications. <laughs> now, Windows Server Core is a 10 gigabyte um, image, which is utterly ridiculous considering all Linux images are a couple of hundred meg, you know? Or a gig, maybe, at the worst. Um, and it's they're just not stable. I can't get anything properly running in them. That's consistent, you know. I mean, I'll, anyway, I'm not going. I'm not going into any more than that. But basically, I had to format machine because the volume mapping screwed up entirely, because the volume mapping sucked Ugh. up hundreds of gigabytes of my hard drive space that I couldn't get back. The and I managed to get. I did it again yesterday, and I managed to get it back by reinstalling. I actually did it on a server, uh, reinstalling Docker, mapping the volumes individually. Um, within the... I did it in a Docker Compose file because it was the easiest to, way to do it. Uh, Mapping the volumes individually, logging into the container, and then deleting, doing a RMRF, well, uh, PowerShell's oh. equivalent, which is uh, remove item, dash, recurse, and then asterisk, in the each of the individual um, volumes. That's the only way that I could delete them. I couldn't delete the volume mappings after I uninstalled <sighs> Windows from my host machine. And it just sucked up. Oh, it was hideous. I'm lucky. Oh, I got. I
0: it out. Anyway, the I, I got. I got.
1: Uh, I got carried away then. Um. So yeah. Okay. So I'll give you a great example. I have a container, a Windows container, that I am. First of all, the first task that I'm doing is downloading the Windows Server Core.NET 4.8 image. Right. So I've downloaded that. 10 gig download. Three and a half hours later, I know I've got. 56k modem still, but uh, (laughs) um, three and a half hours later, I've got the image down, you know. Then Docker can start building on that image with my Docker file. The first thing that I do is I install the Visual Studio build tools, which is a download, um, which is a add command. And then it runs a PowerShell script that I've written, which is a custom script that reads a JSON file, which I copy into the Docker container as well, and reads all of the individual features or components that I want to install within the installer. And I pass that through to the executable and I run it. The next command that I run is install Windows features that I need to enable on the Windows server core box. Things like .NET 3.5, IIS, um, certain IIS services I needed for things. I didn't run it in IIS, but I needed it for certain things. Various bits and bobs, quite a lot. It took a while to run. Now. If I run them in that order, and then I change something with the Windows features, the 10 minutes or so, or 5 minutes that it took to run the VS build tools, will be cached. So it do, I don't have to wait 10 minutes, but then I have to wait another 10 minutes for the Windows script to run, the Windows installer script, which is what I was expect. So you have to make a decision which way around you would install them. Because if I'm more likely to change... Visual Studio build tools than I am to change the Windows features which is I am actually more likely to do that it's better to put the Windows features underneath it sorry the Windows features at the top and the Visual Studio build tools underneath it so they get installed after the Windows features which are unlikely to change
0: well, is, is this something that you pretty much figured out through trial and error or was it just no, like oh um, it makes perfect sense uh, i i best when I, <laughs> when i
1: got into when I got into building this particular windows container which is probably the most arduous thing I've done because of the speed of the containers the download speed because of the size of them and the the sheer fact that installing things on windows takes 10 million years longer than it does on <laughs> Linux you know it, it oh, does my you know God, yes it's a bigger bloated, no. more more um It's a a more verbose operating system, let's say. Um, So I knew how the caching worked. So I'm just giving you an example of which way around to do that. However, when it comes to the smaller, more granular things like creating an application, I might have a container that copies copies everything from my Node.js application into the container, builds it or transpiles it maybe from... TypeScript into JavaScript mm. and does everything else it needs to do. And then, so it's copied the files, builds it, and then outputs it. Now, but before it builds it, it actually needs to run npm install. Right. Right, so npm install is a package manager. Now, the npm install command might take a little bit of time to do. That's a separate command. When that downloads files, or, or rather, the npm install command only relies on the package JSON file, package.json file, right. I think, yeah i think it's called package.json in Node.js. so instead of copying all of the application files considering that all of the application files are probably going to change l- a lot more regularly than the package.json file you just copy the package.json file run the npm install command then copy the rest of the application files if you do it if you do it in that order then you never un- unless you update package.json which controls the package manager you never ever need to uh, run, because it caches it, you never need to run the npm install command again because it's cached as a layer. So if you look at the output when you run Docker Compose or you look at the output when you run Docker Build, you'll see that it will cache certain things. Do it with something small.
0: I okay, could show I you could. an example
1: now of something really small. I'm, I'm not going to because well, we're, we're
0: podcasts, not going to because we are literally like I I'm so wrapped up in this conversation. I totally miss. The I, can, I can talk
1: forever. I love I absolutely love Docker and it's it's really intricate how it works. There's, there's so many things we haven't covered today. But-
0: well, yeah, I mean, th- this is the thing. I mean, at this current moment in time, we don't have a guest next week. We might actually just need to continue our Docker conversation Maybe. next week. Uh, actually, do a continuous stream of thought. What? What happened to documentation not included? Well, now you've,
1: you're a bit more invested. Next time am, you're on very. the development stream, you may I may be able to sh- like, you know, take a what's it mm-hmm. called a digression, side thing. And I would
0: love I um, would love to be able to show you uh, a couple of different versions yeah. of how you can do a WordPress setup in Docker as well. So we may have to do an actual show and tell during a show, which might be a pain for those of you who are you know podcast listeners. We'll have to think about it.
1: Well we do development shows don't we so we we don't uh, we we'll do that on the dev it's show when I
0: think. when work is not swamping the hell out it of is. us holy and I said, cow for
1: anyone who is listening and does watch the development podcast streams um it's not happened for the last few weeks because i've been i did a i did a eight hour eight day week last week <laughs> and mm-hmm. this week I've, I've already done my full days worth weeks worth of of work so i'm having tomorrow off
0: (laughs) yeah whereas in my particular case i am absolutely swamped i've had so many new projects land on my lap and it's almost like everyone's like we've got time now's the time to invest in so i'm working with a lot of different um uh, people for a variety of things from the marketing side of things on down to you know public facing stuff. point being though we love you we're not really going away we've just been busy we're sorry I'm so, hoping
1: I'm going to get a demo streamed on tomorrow, actually.
0: You might be able to. I mean, I'm, sadly, I can't because I've got quite a few meetings. But um, I honestly feel in a way this entire show has been a bring your own manual. Yeah. You know, in the end, we want to try to help and educate and introduce people. And we've gone over quite a few different things with Docker. For some of you who are new to Docker, we hope you go to explore it because it is actually... It's saving me time where I'm losing the time right now in the whole usage of Docker is making certain that I've got the Docker files set up right, that I've got Docker Compose set up right, and that I have it doing the things that I need it to do because I could with one very easy, you know, set of commands, just have a WordPress site spin up and not be persistent. But I have other things that are a requirement. So I have to break my entire WordPress setup down into different chunks for very I, specific reasons. I
1: have a BYOM for, for people if we're not... if uh, go ahead. What's your BYOM? So my BYOM, relate, B, my BYOM relates to Docker. And it's not something I've learned, but it's something that people who are listening to the podcasting might be interested in Docker can go off and learn themselves. Go, download Docker on whatever machine you're on if you're in, if you're interested in it. And then write docker space run space hello dash world. And there you are. You have a Docker container on your machine that's downloaded from the internet that's already a little self-contained. You can run, thing is with Docker, you can run one-off commands with it. So you can use it to do one job. Or you can use it to run a persistent container that runs an application, which is what we're talking about here. Which does, when you think about production environments and when you think about um, making things scalable and making things manageable for a wider solution. Yes, you need to spend more time setting it up, but the time-saving you get and At the, the end, benefits you get, insane. especially if you combine it with the cloud as well, if you combine it with something like AWS or Azure, DevOps, uh, Azure um, containers or... Um, what's the other one? Google Platform containers. You know, there's loads of them. I mean, I use I use DigitalOcean for all mine, and they've I got, love
0: DigitalOcean. They've
1: got boxes that you can just one click, and you've got a Kubernetes cluster straight away available to you. Yeah, I
0: I I was actually thinking to myself, should I you know bother with Kubernetes because it can actually be the I use GitLab for my I stuff. I think you I use will
1: use it. I think I, you, the, you if, the... if, if I know your business as much as I think I do, I think your <laughs> business would benefit. If you start dockerizing everything, you mm-hmm. will need, because I know you like monitoring as well, you will need to see, you'll need to use um, Kubernetes to monitor it, to monitor your do- your files well, and we'll your see networks because, there.
0: We'll see because Elk is gorgeous. That's all I'm going to say elk is godly I haven't you know, used worship, elk, so I don't know worship the ground elk walks on for those of you although it's interesting because elk is based in Java which is a whole other can of worms and a discussion unto itself anyway uh, my BYOM has absolutely nothing to do with development my BYOM has everything to do with the dangers of playing Eldritch Horror the board game playing fan made things you're gonna die um <laughs> The King in Yellow. Really fun expansion for that. But um, yeah, City in Ruins basically kicked my butt. Well, a friend of mine's in my butt uh, this past week. Just, you know, appreciate the old gods is really the lesson I have for you today.
1: Well it's nothing to
0: do with it. But yes, um, we're at the end of our show. Thank you to everybody in Twitch who has showed up. It has been a fun topic of conversation because I love Docker, but I hate Docker at the same time. But I'm growing to appreciate it. You can love and hate something and still respect it. You know, there, there is a thing to be had there. Mm. Um, and for everyone who is listening, oh, <laughs> there's a ghost in chat. Mm -hmm. hello ghost hi mike um but thank you to everyone of you who is in the future listening to us if you have any tips pointers or anything about docker and want us to have it let us know send it to us we'll we'll bring it up in the next show because i have a feeling we're going to just continue docker because i am very much so invested in chris's advocate docker central i think Um,
1: i think somebody should look back on this podcast and count how many times we said docker
0: oh my god potentially there may, or may not be a, there may or may not be a prize. <laughs> it may
1: be infinite. It may be an infinite number of Docker Re-
0: Recursive Docker. Because, you know, you can't have Docker inside a Docker container, which is something. And thank you, Farida. <laughs> Farida has actually... Sh- I'm assuming that's some kind of... I am not saying that live on air, because that might actually summon Cthulhu. And um, but... we don't want to have that kind of a thing. Especially when... I get a kick out of this. There are things in the development world with tentacles. I'll oh, grant it mm. it's called octopus, but it has tentacles and all I can think of is that and of course my favorite good client personally is a kraken of some kind. So, you know, me. <laughs> Fun, funnily
1: enough I'm using um I'm using octopus's uh compression uh delta compression rsync implementation in my network backup tool. Using their call oh. libraries for it, which is uh, quite cool, uh, and and that's used to send data out to their octopus tentacles, their their tentacles in the octopus. They've got, I think, calamari as well is another one of their services yeah. that they're using. I can't remember what that is exactly, but. <laughs>
0: I, you know in all honesty we just need to name things what they should be you know the summoning of the old gods <laughs>
1: i like though i like the thing is with octopus though it's, it's actually a great name because octopus has tentacles and all the tentacles the, the octopus the center of the octopus is yep. actually calling out to all the different servers and all the different services it's touching that it it with it's their monitoring tentacles and, and, and deploying to and stuff i love octopus is a great tool absolutely anyway, so yes it you can on the roof you can <laughs> visit our website on www.dnistream.live where you can find links to all our social media channels and podcast links and catches and everything else you can also use it to contact us for any reason if you want to be a guest you want to know what docker is if we've not explained it very well and uh, give us feedback send us corrections send us us a a funny funny joke or just you know compliment my beard I don't mind
0: yeah and you know lament the fact that I can't grow one Mm,
1: and uh, don't forget you can also follow us on twitch which is down there over there that way Um, It depends
0: on what platform you happen to be on.
1: Dude, if you're not already following us, follow us now or I'll find
0: you.
1: (laughs) Turn the boys around.
0: Yes, and as a reminder for those of you who are listening to us in the future, our podcast goes live onto YouTube and Twitch across all the podcast platforms Monday at 7am. However, we do hope that we can actually see you live or we can discuss things with you live in chat. Uh we do have a Discord. Hopefully see you there. And we see you next week, 7 p.m. Thursday UK time on twitch.tv at slash DNI stream. All that's left to do is say goodbye. So goodbye to everybody in chat. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: But uh hang around, we'll do a raid in a minute. We're gonna get quite Ooh. an interesting person we're gonna raid today as well. So uh hang around. Ooh.
0: So bye we're everyone. Reading. Bye